Hello and welcome to Liberated Tester Podcast. I am really glad to have you here listening to this episode. I am Gunesh Patel and I'm back this week with one more episode filled with software testing insights and the experiences from our guest today. I hope you like the episode and as usual please share the most valuable insight that you got from the episode on any of your socials and tag liberated tester. Without further delay, let's jump into today's episode. This episode of Liberated Tester is sponsored by fantastic people at Tricentis. who have just launched a new community called ShiftSync. It's a community for anyone interested in all aspects of quality engineering from left to the right across the whole software development spectrum. The platform features various articles, videos, learning materials, user forums and industry expert contribution and there is a chance to be on the leaderboard as well. I was myself on the leaderboard for 2 weeks. So don't wait any further and click on the link in the description to join the community and win some fabulous prizes hello and namaste to all the listeners welcome to this new episode of liberated tester this is the part 1 of the conversation with lisa crispin she doesn't need any introduction she has been in the industry for 41 years she has been in the industry since 1980s where she joined as a developer She is going to walk us through the memory lane with a lot of uh, technology names and the things that you may have never heard of. At least I have never heard of. I wasn't even born when they were working on and mastering these technologies. Also, Lisa also shares. Um, Lisa also shares the evolution of agile methodologies, how they were then, and how we are doing it now. We also gain valuable insights into biases. and how the diverse teams actually helps minimize those biases she is the co-founder of agile testing fellowship do check out their website agiletestingfellow.com they have a course on holistic testing which has been really really effective you can see that from the testimonials that they have on their website lisa helps teams and organizations identify and address their biggest challenges in testing and quality as well as providing trainings you can also visit her website lisacrisman.com for more details on her blogs talks and all the fascinating work that she keeps on doing so without further delay let's jump into this part 1 of the conversation I think our conversation started with the feedback that I asked you on the podcast and you were very kind to give it to me uh with your comments and everything and then now we are having this discussion so very grateful to have you here I'm really happy that I'm talking to you Oh it's an honor to be here and it has been interesting to listen to your podcast I just recently listened to the episode with Melissa Fisher and Uh, and I really liked it particularly cuz she was good at interviewing you too. I'm not sure I can step up to that, but she was she did a great job. Yeah, I mean I actually cut out the first 8 or 9 minutes where it was exclusively me. She was getting in I was getting interviewed. So I I said that I'll keep it for some other time or maybe a next episode we can put it there. I want this to be focused on you, so let's not get me into the picture. Okay. Yeah, I I'm I have plans to publish it some sometime later maybe. We'll do that. Oh, um, that would be great actually. 
I like yeah, I do like yeah. podcasts where both both the interviewer and the interviewee kind of just have a conversation. Those are nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So let's plan on doing that today. Okay. Hopefully. Yeah, let's let's uh, let's talk about your your journey as a tester. I saw you in one of the panel discussions where there were a couple of companions with you where you completed 20 years. Was it recently? Was it uh, 20 years in the industry? Was oh, it, I've, like, last I've year? been in the industry mm-hmm. for 41 years. <laughs> 41. So I started as a programmer in 1982. Oh, my. Yeah, I need to get someone to research for me, I think. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sorry about that. Can we uh, can we talk about your journey, how you started, and um, what motivated you to be in the field for so long? It's interesting. It's an interesting question because when I first started as a programmer, I just needed a job. Mm-hmm. And I saw mm-hmm. an advertisement at the University of Texas for programmer trainees no experience required and that was me i had no experience um so fortunately uh, they were hiring they were very smart they hired people for their domain knowledge and they mm-hmm. wanted somebody mm-hmm. with a business background and i had an mba so um they had a really great training program and even though this is in the early 80s a lot of the principles they used were very similar to what we think of now as agile approaches um, just a very collaborative way of working, and um, yeah. and it was a great great training ground, and, and we all helped each other. Uh, and I did that for a few years, and eventually got into um, working for a software company whose products I had used mm-hmm. uh, in their tech support. And so this is again still the eighties. <laughs> And our customer support center was in Denver, Colorado, in the Mm -hmm. U.S., and most of our developers were in Germany. Oh, And so, of course, those are the days where the products went out on tape. Uh, You know, releases were not very frequent. And we did, this was pre-fax, much less pre-email. And so oh. basically we picked up the phone and there was a customer there. And so having an angry customer call to say, I just, I just installed the latest version. Mm-hmm. And how did you miss this giant bug? Oh, and you know, our major product with a, with database software. So that was a big deal. And so we support people. We were all programmers mm-hmm. and stuff. And, you know, we could find, you know, what line of code was, we take the hexadecimal dump over the phone. I can't believe I could do that. And okay. find the line of code with the problem. And sometimes we could patch it ourselves. Sometimes we needed the developers. Uh-huh. But it, we started thinking, you know, if we got a chance to try out the new releases before the customers did, that might be helpful. So we asked the developers, mm-hmm. when you're getting close to releasing this, can you just send us like a pre, you know, pre-release copy? Yeah. Um, and they were like, oh, yeah, that's a good idea. And so then when the angry customers called, we could say, hey, yes, we know about it. We're working on a patch. We'll have it to you next week. <laughs> um, and so that was so much better. Mm-hmm. And our yeah. managers were like, huh, because this was just our idea, just the worker bees. And the managers yeah. were like, huh, testing, because there was no <laughs> testing at that company. And okay. so it occurred to them to create a a group of people 
doing uh-huh. you know testing and releasing be, be in charge of releasing the software testing it making sure it was ready um and, and i put my hand up that sounds fun mm-hmm. so mm-hmm. that's how i got into testing and and again i i got this job originally because i needed a job i had horses they're expensive to keep i needed to pay my mortgage <laughs> and the horses uh, and it was just something i would do till i did something else um mm-hmm. and the more I did it, though, you know, at some point I finally realized, oh, I always thought I just wanted to do this till I figured out what I wanted to do. But this is actually what I like doing. So that's that's how oh, I got that's here. That's cool. That's cool. <laughs> I love hearing no, I people's mean, testing mm-hmm. origin stories. You probably have a good one, too. <laughs> <laughs> well, my testing origin doesn't go that back uh, in time. Uh, but uh, yeah. <laughs> so after after graduating, I mean, it was if you compare it to yours, it's pretty lame, but uh, I still I still go on. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, after college, um, uh, we had uh, uh, what we call here are like campus placements. So we we a couple of companies come to the campus and they recruit people and all these things. So we had uh, we had like choice between first three companies. If you get selected, you can select. Uh, I mean, you can choose whoever to join. And um, I got into Accenture uh, that time, so I oh, continued cool. with Accenture. Yeah, so we had we also had like a three year, no, sorry, three month uh, program training program, mm-hmm. and at the end they would just uh, pick you and drop you into uh, whatever things they wanted. Yeah, I mean, uh, it was like the uh, hat in the Hogwarts, right? Just that there's no hat; they just pick you and drop you. But yeah, that's how that's how I got into testing. I I would admit that I was I was really upset uh, that evening. But the very next day when I started with testing, I think uh, I started to enjoy it, and have been there since. So mm-hmm. I mean, I don't I don't at all regret of being picked and put into testing. I I have enjoyed it all the way long and still enjoying it. But yeah, I can't I can't imagine being in your shoes and then uh, getting those hexadecimal dumps and all these things. That's eh, really it. It sounds really what a Herculean task for me. I, 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 can't, I can't really imagine doing that. We were just used it's to absolutely, it. Absolutely, yeah. Uh, it was, no, a, so, it was um, a really fun job, hmm. though. Yeah. So would you like ship another disk to customer as a patch, or how how was how did it work? Oh, just to get the fixes to them. Uh huh. Yeah, we had this in a whole new set of tapes. This is back in the oh the, okay. the era of tapes, and so. It was really interesting, though, because once I got into this group where we did the testing, we prepared the releases, we actually cut the tapes. And by that time, we were supporting not only mainframe systems, but also Vax VMS and Unix. And it led me into a great journey of learning Unix system administration. And and I I cut the tapes for all of those platforms. And even Wang, we even got into Wang. And so just the exposure to all the different operating systems was super helpful for my career because up to then, I mainly knew the products of the software company because I had worked for Mm. other companies that use those products. And then I worked Mm -hmm. for that company. Uh, And, you know, you can really get pigeonholed if you're working with proprietary products. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so this let me branch out and learn, you know, learn all kinds of things, learn, you know, this is DB2 came out. So I got to learn SQL, um, you know, learning and then even getting now into the into PCs and, and you know, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, just being able to expand out to all the platforms. And those skills have been really valuable because you can port those skills to all kinds of jobs. 
uh, yeah, and they can kind yeah. of get a foot in the door. So, uh, so that was, it was, you know, it was, it was a super fun experience. Wow. I mean, you, you were there all along the evolution. So I think. <laughs> I yeah, mean, I was you... there for almost 10 years. So yeah, things, yeah. things definitely wow. changed a lot. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, they always say that the pace of uh, change that time and this in this era is quite a lot. I mean, it grew exponentially. Even I, I was reading one of the article one other time that the um, the diameter of the fiber which is there in the microprocessor has mm-hmm. came down so drastically oh, nowadays amazing. that yeah you can't you I mean there's the sky is not even a limit there's there's no limit on that I think <laughs> people people keep evolving yeah one of my early projects as a programmer was working on a, a University of Texas online library catalog mm-hmm. that was when online library catalogs were a new concept and uh, my job was to get all of the book catalog information and in, you know stored on disk oh, okay and mm-hmm. we were like do we have enough disk space you know we had a whole basement full of giant disk drives oh. would it all fit you know and i ran a, <laughs> a, a you know did a sort of test run of loading 36 uh, unformatted tapes from the library or from library of congress that spanned mm-hmm. That spanned volumes, so I had to figure out how wow. to code to what was the start and the end of each record, and what were the identifying numbers for that book, and all that. Mm-hmm. And would it would this job, which ran overnight, would it succeed? Would it really because we might run out of disk space. <laughs> and so that you know, now I probably have more disk space on my phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And we had on a giant <laughs> Amdahl mainframe, so yeah. um, so things changed. But you know, the other thing working for the university back then. Mm-hmm. Those are those are areas, and we were the data processing division. We weren't an academic division, but um, you know, uh, computer companies give things to universities. So we got a yeah. Xerox Star when that was a new thing, and that's where the the UI for Apple was inspired from. The Xerox Star it had that mm-hmm. same kind of mm-hmm. the icons and everything. And then we had an yeah. Apple Lisa, which was a forerunner of the Mac. And then we got and then we got Macs, and yeah. those were just given to to the our department by apple uh-huh. mm-hmm. uh, so we got a chance to work with you know that gave me a taste for it's fun to be on the leading edge yeah yeah absolutely i mean with exposure to these many things i mean the way of thinking and the approach that you develop must have been so diverse because mm-hmm. you need everything i mean everything needs a different touch right so you you must have developed that sense i think and that also would have factored into your um, testing aspect as well right because having exposure to these many things and those many combinations would have usually mm-hmm. what do you say wired you for testing and i think that's why you love testing i think that's that's my I prognosis think that's, a, that's a good point yeah that is yeah. a good point <laughs> okay and then and, 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 and it taught me you know when you're in a job and somebody says, Hey, mm-hmm. does somebody want to go? We're going to send somebody to Unix system admin training, or we're going to send somebody to, uh, yeah. to SQL training. Who wants mm-hmm. to go? Put your hand up. Yeah. If you go and you don't <laughs> like it, well, you just lost a little time, but it could lead to great opportunities and things you didn't know about yet. So that's, you know, that's always my career advice to people. Yeah, absolutely. Correct. I mean, yeah. 
Yeah, even if it's not, I mean, being paid for, if it's just happening somewhere near you, just go and yeah. attend it. Mm-hmm. The only thing you lose is time. Otherwise, everything is what exactly. you gain, right? So, yeah. And you, if you get something from it, the time is much more valuable than that, mm-hmm. what you had. So, yeah, very nice advice. And uh, going back to the Agile which was there when you started the job and the agile things which are here, the, though the principles and everything are very much same. Have you seen any um, any difference in adopt, adoption of agile across the organizations or the way they run agile now and the way they run, way they used to run, like maybe 15, 20 years back? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely a big, a big moment for my own career when I join my first extreme programming team when i read the book mm-hmm. extreme programming yeah. extreme programming explained by kent Beck, that um some people i've been working with were going off to start their own startup and, and do extreme programming and i'm like oh you have to hire me too because this is all about <laughs> quality and people yeah uh, wasn't much about testers i think the biggest difference because i've worked on waterfall teams mm-hmm. where we did continuous integration and we did automated uh, deployment pipelines and Mm -hmm. we did automated testing with great coverage from the unit level by the developers up through the ui level by the testers um but we only released every six to 12 months (laughs) oh (laughs) and that was you know that was back in the Uh early 90s and our product was a database and Uh you know people didn't even want change you know customers didn't even want changes faster than that so yeah. it was a very high quality product, mm-hmm. but we were definitely doing the big bang releases. Releases, mm-hmm. and so you know, as we got into the web world, that doesn't work anymore. Uh, yeah. the competition was fierce, and you needed to get changes out frequently. And Correct. I think, you know, the 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 secret form, the secret magic ingredient of agile is we work in these really small chunks, so we get these small chunks of value out to our customers frequently mm-hmm. um, you know nowadays multiple times a day for a lot of companies and yeah. we're able to because we're doing such a tiny change at one time the risk is low because if it's something goes wrong with it we just roll it back we know exactly what yeah. broke and yeah. and we can you know now we have all this technology and different release strategies to you know, put things in production without releasing them to customers until we're confident about it, or let's just turn it on for a few customers and see how that goes. Uh, yeah. or we have really mm-hmm. great strategies for reverting back to what we had. So there's the technology has allowed us to do that. And the practices like test driven development, refactoring, continuous integration, pair programming, ensemble programming, you know, test automation, mm-hmm. all those practices have yeah. let us start working effectively that way but mm-hmm. it's uh, you know elizabeth hendrickson oh i don't know it's been quite a few years that she came up with her agile asset test and it was something about delivering you know small increments of value to customers frequently at mm-hmm. a sustainable pace and the sustainable yeah. pace you don't get that without all the good core development practices good, of mm-hmm. agile mm-hmm. like yeah test-driven development, uh, acceptance test-driven development, or behavior-driven development, mm-hmm. continuous integration, mm-hmm. pairing, you know, all those practices, that's how yeah. you do it sustainably without 
without mm-hmm. killing your team. <laughs> you have to enjoy it, right? Yeah, um, yeah. We, uh, I've always thought that, you know, there were these four agile values and I always thought the fifth agile value should be joy because we need to enjoy what we do. And that's how we can. Mm. Wow. But a lot has to go into that. <laughs> a lot has to go into a company culture for that yeah. to happen. Psychological safety being number one. Mm. And uh, I've been lucky, super lucky to work on teams where we had the good culture. We had the, the trust between the business side and the software engineering side. And as software engineers, we were a part of the company. We weren't something off to the side, just cranking mm. out code mm-hmm. and, and we were a self-organizing autonomous team. We had business domain knowledge. We could really help the business. And if you haven't experienced that unicorn magic, yeah, it's really yeah. hard to explain it. You know, Janet Gregory, my co-author and partner in crime on a lot of things, we both were lucky to experience that very early. Both, you know, the teams yeah. we joined back in 2000. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we just our first extreme programming teams had that unicorn magic and um, and subsequent teams did as well. And that's just luck to end up on a team <laughs> like that, to end up with good leadership that knows how to nurture that along. And, people, mm. you know, unfortunately, especially in big corporations, that's really hard to find. And so people are look at us like, that's not going to work. Well, no, it won't work in your environment right now. So, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because we, we, uh, I mean, when I was part of another organization, uh, we also ran a unicorn program uh, where we would um, train both the sites on the both the skills. Um, I would say it went fairly well. I won't say it was a success as such, uh, but yeah, it did. It did went fairly well. I mean, we didn't had a huge success at such but we were able to uh, manage people on the both sides and then uh, get the workload assigned mm-hmm. to anyone if one is not there other one can do the job and all that kind of things so yeah i mean it it i would say it was like about 50 percent ish success mm-hmm. i would say it was not not a big deal but yeah i mean we had an experiment uh, which did fairly well but then after that it slightly yeah it's slightly drained down so so you were fortunate to have that kind of experience in that. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned about a um, lot of things in Agile, um, the tools, the processes and everything else. But also in, I think um, with side of the culture, you also need that mindset within the people, the Agile testing mindset or overall Agile mindset as such. Mm-hmm. Right? So being author of three books, um, on agile testing, uh, how would you put agile testing mindset and some of the principles that you have already mentioned in your books, which one you see like, which is like most neglected mm, in the teams. People don't care about that principle. Yeah, um, it is a different mindset and, you know, it, it kind of grows to the Carol Dweck's growth mm-hmm. mindset versus fixed mindset. Um, yeah. And, and Janet and I, I've actually co-authored four books. My first book was co-authored with Topalis, so Testing Extreme Programming, <laughs> um, back in the day. And mm. I've been very lucky to, to work with great co-authors. But Janet and I were inspired by the, um, by the X, originally the XP principles and then the principles behind the mm-hmm. Agile Manifesto. 
Yeah. Uh, a lot of people have read the Agile Manifesto, which is like working software over documentation. Yeah, yeah. We had, a, we had a huge A3 size print in our uh, yeah. work area. But they don't yeah. click the link to read the, I think it's 12 principles mm. behind the Agile Manifesto, which to me are yes. much more important. But we came up with the, uh, the 10 principles for Agile testers. Um, mm. And, you know, that was all about, you know, feedback, value to customer, uh, face-to-face communication, which, of course, nowadays might be face-to-face like right now. Yeah. Or over. Yeah. <laughs> Video <laughs> conferencing. Have courage. Keep it simple. Practice continuous improvement. Mm-hmm. All these things are part of Agile. Respond yeah, to change. Yeah. Self-organize. Focus on people and enjoy. Mm-hmm. Yes. And when we did our first book, we had a bunch of people around the world, friends of ours, uh, practitioners reviewing chapters mm. for us. And yeah. we asked them what was their, what did they think were the most key factors for succeeding with testing in an agile wow. environment. And number one for everybody was the whole team approach. And that's what Janet and I yeah. have advocated all these years, testing yes. and quality. If they're not, if the whole team doesn't take responsibility for those, it's mm-hmm, just not going to mm-hmm. happen because you've got to yes, build the quality gotta... in. I mean, even back in the 90s, I heard testing leaders say, well, you can't test quality into a product. And, you know, it was true then and it's true now. <laughs> uh, you have to get the whole team involved. And again, I was on waterfall teams where, where that was still the case. The yeah. developers were do, were writing unit tests and, and making their code testable and maintainable and operable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and that if that doesn't happen, it kind of doesn't matter what else you do. And, um, and that whole team approach and collaborating uh, is really is the key. But then the number two one that everybody kind of agreed on was the agile testing mindset, which is yes. kind mm-hmm. of involves all those principles, you know, being, being yeah. curious, asking mm-hmm. questions, giving feedback, receiving feedback and being courageous. You need a lot of courage to be a tester just about anywhere. Um, <laughs> yeah. And yeah, I think that uh, I think that, like you say, the the mindset's really, really a key. Um, mm. But th- there are a lot of other keys too. But that's a really important one. Correct, correct. And um, all the all the principles that you mentioned, I think uh, those principles should take the wall. I mean, the picture of the principle should be there rather than side by side on the manifesto as well, like you said, because mm-hmm. those are kind of key so that people can keep looking at it and then see, oh, okay, this is what we are missing. Uh, this is what we need to have. Uh, yeah, when you have a problem that you need to solve, mm. if you're not sure what direction to go, look, go back to the principles and let yeah, them guide yeah. you. Got um, it. And um, in the whole conversations, you have, you already have mentioned joy and enjoy. Mm-hmm. So I can <laughs> see the joy is very crucial to your personality. <laughs> uh, you always always enjoy what you do but i've seen i've seen people who um who struggle to find joy in the work that they do they might not like i was fortunate to be with testing or some people are not mm-hmm. so what are some of the things that people can do to be joyous like more they can feel more, more joy in the work that they do well that's a that's a tricky one because a lot of things you know may not be directly in our control if you don't 
Yeah. If people at, in your team don't feel psychologically safe, if there's not a good level of trust, or mm-hmm. if you're under a lot of pressure to meet deadlines and things, it's really hard to find any joy. Um, yeah. But, you know, I've, I've benefited from working with a lot of good coaches over the years that have helped me. And so, mm-hmm. you know, one of the things I've done if I'm in a difficult situation is, you know, take frequent breaks, maybe go out and take a walk. Um, mm-hmm. go out and I don't know, dance around and sing a song to myself. <laughs> <laughs> Just I've, I've actually made lists of here are things I like to do. And then if I'm really super, unhappy or stressed out uh-huh. like, let me just pick mm-hmm. up something off this list and go do it because it you'd rather it would come from work but if it doesn't come from work uh find a way to take a break and and then hopefully that might help you think of something to do to to improve the work situation mm. um and i've also learned that you know we talk about influence in people yeah i've also learned that you know it's really hard to change to get people to change <laughs> Uh, I've learned a lot from Linda rising on this. She, uh, she's done a lot of, you know, she's a scientist and she's done a lot of research Mm -hmm. and how our brains work and how our brains evolved. Mm -hmm. It's kind of the bottom line is from her is humans are not, we think we're really logical and rational, but really we're not. (laughs) (laughs) And a lot of what we do is just driven by our values and values are something deeply ingrained and hard to change. Um, but what we can do is let's look around, um, we see a problem and we think Mm -hmm. we have a potentially something to try to address that problem. Look around for an ally. Is there one person Mm -hmm. who might Mm -hmm. be thinking along your same lines and then talk to that person and together you can sort of brainstorm and then you can look for the people who might be more, you know, receptive Mm -hmm. to trying the idea and, you know, make it tiny let's do a tiny small experiment uh that's another thing i learned from linda is you know identify a problem what's the biggest problem right now mm-hmm. as a team what's some tiny small experiment we can try maybe just for two weeks doesn't have to cost yeah. it shouldn't yeah. cost a lot it shouldn't take a lot of time <laughs> and effort mm. just try it find a way to measure the progress of it is it moving us toward our goal mm-hmm. if it's not mm-hmm. well we learned something we can try something else uh, if it is, then, then then that's a good sign and we can keep working on it. And just doing those baby steps, I'm not a patient person. So hmm. <laughs> I've had to learn, do the baby steps, yeah. uh, try to yeah. influence people around me to to partner up with me and, and try to get some change going. I also, back in the early 2000s, I was working for a, a team that, a company that hired me because I had experience with extreme programming mm-hmm. and they said they wanted to do extreme programming. And other than having a release every two weeks and a stand up every day, yeah. <laughs> there was nothing they were doing that was remotely like extreme programming. And yeah. I was the director of the quality team. Oh, and okay. I was very frustrated because it's like, well, they hired me for this and mm-hmm. <laughs> and so, They're not doing anything about it. Right at that time, Linda Rising and Mary Lynn Manns were working on their book, Fearless Change. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. they sent me a manuscript. And it's all these little patterns that can help you promote change. Mm-hmm. And that was just a gift. Um, 
because it just gave me, you know, it's like, well, you try one little thing. If it doesn't work, that's okay. Try the next little yeah. thing. And mm-hmm. it just was so helpful to me. And in that particular job, I finally realized, although I could, I could perhaps make one project hugely successful by getting people to, to try more agile, a more agile approach, the basic culture of the company, mm-hmm. they were never going to adopt it. And and so I just, you know, if you can't change your organization, change your organization. I'm not sure who said that, but, <laughs> but it's true. <laughs> that's, and, that's and it's a, a privilege. Yeah. Not everybody can mm-hmm. do that, but. Yeah. But it did teach me a lot about influencing and, you know, you're not always going to be successful, but you have to, you have to be patient and, um, you know, you have to try to get it to be something you can enjoy. Got it. Yeah, absolutely. I I love love that quote that you said. If you can't change the organization, change the organization. <laughs> it might have been Martin Fowler who said that. I'm not sure though. Yeah, well, that's a good one. I really like that one. I think um, also when we discussed uh, defect prevention is very big aspect of the way you work. I believe um, uh, you believe more in defect prevention techniques than actually yeah that's part of the agile testing mindset that's maybe the biggest Mm -hmm. mindset shift is rather than focusing on finding defects after coding is done is done air quotes Mm -hmm. around done it's how can we prevent defects and you know i'll give you an example for my last full-time job um Uh we did ensemble programming or mob programming Yeah, yeah and um, you know, again, I'm not a coder, so if it was my turn to drive, it really slowed things down. But that's not a bad <laughs> thing sometimes to slow down yeah. and think about what you're doing. <laughs> but I would always ask at the end of, of, of every session, uh, mm-hmm. I was like, was it a, you know, did it, did, did you feel like I was helpful? Did I ask too many questions? <laughs> did I slow you down too much? And yeah. they always said, you know what, the you know, you asked these questions that that made us realize we needed to do something different, and that prevented that prevented bugs. <laughs> and <laughs> that was always the feedback I've gotten. Um, yeah, is is you know having a different perspective. I just think of having a diverse group. You know, we're we're all victims of our own unconscious bias, and mm. my personal belief. I don't have any science to back it up is that the more diverse viewpoints you can have working on something, the more Mm. likely you are to think of everything. Yeah. (laughs) Because you're going to see something, Mm. we're testing something, you're going to see something that I don't see and vice versa. Yes. And when you see something, it might cause me to see something else that you didn't Mm. see, but I didn't realize it until you said, "Uh, look at this. So... Uh, you know, having multiple viewpoints on it is so important. And that's why we need, that's why the cross-functional teams, in my opinion, that's why it works so well, because you do have yes. a diversity mm-hmm. of skills and experience and, and viewpoints and backgrounds. And uh, it helps us, you know, overcome our, you know, it helps counter the biases that we have. Unconscious bias, even if you know yeah. you have unconscious bias, it's still unconscious <laughs> <laughs> uh, hard to fight yeah. but yeah. I, hopefully if we have different ones uh, then we can all help it's each other it's much more beneficial to the team as a whole right mm-hmm. yeah so we talked about how biases can help you become productive but is there any flip side of it like can biases lead to catastrophic results as well like 
just deed I mean, it, it's a constant. It's a constant battle with biases, like mm. um, um, you know, the like you know, confirmational bias. I know. I've been working on this feature and these stories and I know how it's supposed to behave. Yeah. And yeah. so that's what I'm going to see. And I've definitely had experiences. Like I can remember a time where, I mean, at least four different people, both testers and developers mm. looked at a UI where we'd put something new in. Yeah. And we're all like, yep, yep. Good to go. Good to go. And there mm. was something else that wasn't, related to the story but somehow got changed mm. <laughs> and it was once we realized it was there after we released the production it was glaring yeah. customers <laughs> noticed it right away but we did not notice it because we were so focused and that's the problem with agile development you're working on the tiny little chunks yes you're yes. not it's hard to back up and yeah, see the big picture yeah. mm. and so you know things like confirmational bias availability bias those those just plague us all the time because we're very focused on what we are wanting to achieve. Mm, yeah. uh, maybe we did achieve that, but we broke something else. So <laughs> uh, it's very tricky. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think um, seeing the big picture really, really matters, right? I mean, once you're focused on those tiny bits, like you said, right, it, it gets really hard to envision the whole thing and how everything is going to come together. I mean, though we have uh, all the technology and everything to support us to visualize that, uh, but there is there is still some gap that still remains. And that's why we still get the angry customer on the phone, right? So that kind of scenario. Yeah, and, and, you know, there are just a lot of different uh, biases that can that can affect our teams. Like uh, Joao mm. Prince did a keynote a couple of years ago. Uh, I think it was Agile Testing Days 2021. And I give you a link to mm -hmm. that, but um, you know he gave a good keynote on how biases affect us, and um, maybe that was a different talk. He also did a talk for Ministry of Testing, where mm -hmm. you know with test automation, um, yeah, uh, you know I've been on teams where we literally had thousands of automated tests, so unit level, API level, UI level, mm -hmm. uh, and still still bugs would get <laughs> into production, <laughs> and. Uh, and, you know, what happens on almost every, well, every team I've been on, you get tests, mm -hmm. you start to call flaky. Oh, this test fails sometimes. Yes. Oh, it just fails yes. sometimes. Just run it again. Well, yeah. a lot of times that's a real bug. And it just happens to be a sporadic bug that doesn't happen every time. Yeah. Or it is a problem with a test. But rather than fix the test, we just ignore it. Well, why do we even have mm -hmm. that test? And Joao made the case of, you really need to only have the minimum tests that you need to feel confident yeah. <laughs> to release the production. <laughs> but we yeah. humans love to build things and it takes a lot of effort. And once we build something, mm. we don't want to throw it away. So we can Absolutely never go not. delete yeah. tests <laughs> because, well, golly, no, we can't delete it. And even though in our, you know, in our intelligent minds, we know, well, it's in a source code control system. If we delete it and we it want it back, we can get it back. Uh, but these things really get in our way all the time without mm -hmm. us even thinking mm -hmm. about it. And so we all end up with these bloated automated test suites and stuff. You know, that's just one example of, of another example that Joao gave in his keynote at Agile Testing Days was the paradox of choice. So mm. humans love choices. The yeah. more choices, the better. I'm flicking the through, you know. <laughs> 
Amazon Prime to see what I can watch. And I might do that for 20 minutes because if we have more than about six choices, um, we can't make up our minds. We get paralyzed. Yeah. Yeah. And so that's why yeah. techniques like, I don't know if you're familiar with risk storming from uh, Baron von Dela. Um, uh, yeah, I think I've heard of the it. The test sphere yes. cards, yeah. which are available mm. for Ministry of Testing. But with with risk storming, you start out with mm-hmm. one of the most qual- important quality aspects for this feature that you're going to develop, but you yeah. can only pick yeah. six. Mm. So you have to have discussions. Okay, which are the six most important? Because guess what? If we try to do more than six, we're going to mess up all of them. Mm. We have to focus. It's just how our brains yeah. work. Uh, and so, you know, there's all kinds of things. I, f- I find it fascinating and it's one of my favorite areas to learn about because, um, you know, there's just an endless number of biases that get in our way that they're so ingrained <laughs> in us, we don't even see them. Yeah, I I, I, uh, I watched one of your talk on the biases uh, oh. which you did with the testing UI and I was really surprised to see the number of biases you had on the list. Mm-hmm. And that list was amazing. I I never came across this kind of exhaustive list on biases. I'm sure oh, that way, And of, that's just the tip of the iceberg. Yes, <laughs> that's what I thought. <laughs> <laughs> and, the, and the choice thing that you said, right? The more than six choices. I think now, now I understand why it takes me about 20 minutes to decide which show to watch. Because mm, I have exactly. three apps. So yeah. I have Hotstar, I have... Um, Amazon Prime, I have Netflix. So I, I'm flicking through the apps also. Oh, no, I've, I can't watch this now. and it, it doesn't suit my mood. Oh, no, no, this is too long. I can't watch this. So it keeps on happening, right? Yeah, now now I get the point why it takes me 20 minutes and then I lost 20 minutes of the show, which I could have watched <laughs> in 20 minutes. So, right. <laughs> so that's, how, that's how it works. Wow, wow that's fascinating. Um, the whole human mind and all these things are, are really... Mm-hmm. You can't you can't get enough of it. I think that's if you were to put it like that. Um, um, yeah, and and also um, when we talk about biases, I think we also have to talk about the ways of thinking because that what actually causes the biases is what I think. Correct me if I'm wrong. But um, thank you for tuning in today. I hope you found it useful. If you did learn something new today. Please follow us on Instagram, LinkedIn, and also share, rate, subscribe to the podcast so that you get the notifications for the new episodes as and when they're launched. Thank you for being here. It really means a lot to me. Until we meet again, it's a goodbye from my side. Take care and be in great health. Thank you.